Imagine finally mustering the courage to share your idea in a Stanford MBA class, only to be ignored, but have the next person say the exact same thing and be celebrated. The one reason? No one could actually understand your English. This was the very problem Vuvan encountered that 90% of the 1.5 billion people learning English struggle with as well, and she was determined to solve it. Long before AI became a buzzword, Vuvan recognized its transformative potential. Combining her deep understanding of language learning with her AI expertise, Vuvan founded Elsa, English language speech assistant in 2015. Elsa, an AI-powered learning app, provides users with an interactive and personalized approach to improving English pronunciation. 50 million users later, over $27 million raised, with investors including Gradient Ventures, Google's dedicated AI fund, this is a conversation not to be missed. Welcome to Billion Dollar Moves, the show for the top founders, funders, and execs making billion dollar moves that are shaping our future. From the growing pains of a unicorn journey to IPO, the question of impact, purpose, and returns, we go real deep in the world of venture and business. I'm your host, Sarah Chen Spellings. Before we hop in here, I have a quick favor to ask you. Smash that follow button wherever you're tuning in from. This way, you'd be the first to know of new episodes that drop. And of course, please tell your friends so we can amplify more stories built on grit in the US and Asia venture ecosystem and that we can all keep making billion dollar moves together. Now let's get started. This is a very interesting time for you and your business, you know, at this point of scale through a challenging market environment. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, how you're thinking about your business at this time before we take a step back into, you know, who is Vuvan and what brought you to this? It sounds hard to believe, but I'm actually even more excited now than it's ever been, even though the market is really tough because, you know, we've been in like one of the very early companies that doing AI for English speaking tutoring for a long time. And I still remember six, seven years ago when I opened this category and just like said what we do, people like, what? It can be done, right? And humans going to do a lot better job and there's no AI that can be as good as doing what you want it to do as you envision. And of course, in the last few months, as GPT exploding the internet with all of the powerful application, of course, it's scary, but it's also, you know, accelerating what we want it to do by a lot faster speed in terms of the market acceptance and the adoption of it, right? And so it's actually so much more to do. We had like, we just had our company product three-year vision and just so much about what AI can really do and just enabling that learning journey but also democratizing that access to learning to speak better English um, in the global workforce. So yes, the market is really uh, tough and you wake up every other day and you feel like something's happening again. But then on the other hand, the excitement of the business, but more importantly, the impact of what we can do, actually really what keeps me up at night is how much can we deliver on that one and how fast can we do it? Yeah, yeah. And and we'll dive a little bit deeper into that, especially the trends with AI and how that's escalated a lot of the mm-hmm. work that you've been thinking about for, for a long time. Uh, but but to start in true billion dollar moves fashion, who is Vuvan and what brought you to this work in the very first place? Yeah, so... Well, I was born and raised in Vietnam, uh, growing up all the way in Vietnam up until I finished my college, had a few years um, working and living in Denmark. Prior to that, I actually had some time in Singapore as well, and then uh, moved to the States um, about more than a decade ago. Um, I did my MBA here, as well as my master in education here at Stanford. And initially, what I was thinking of a two years uh, short time in the States before I go somewhere else, become a decade and counting more, and currently, Bay is my home right now. And so I had been, first of all, growing up 
really, really got intrigued by an international environment and what we can learn as a human in terms of opening our eyes up to everything that's happening to the world. And and hence, my different experience, the jobs that I chose to do, take me to different places, really, in Singapore, in Denmark, and actually half of my time when I worked in the company was involving traveling around the world. So I'm very much excited about what's happening in the world and being immersed into that culture. And so as I started this company, it's all coming back to my to what I really care and what I deeply believed in and and what had actually got me to where I am today is how do we make sure that communication is an enabler for us to reach our full potential and do what we want to do in life and not so much a hinder and a prevention of what we want to do. Yeah. And 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 Vuvan, if, if I may pick on the specificity yeah. here, because, I, because I, I know a little bit of your story, but it was in Stanford where you felt that someone else was getting credit for the exact same thing that you said that really sparked this idea with Elsa. Tell us a little bit about that. It's embarrassing, but it's also a true uh, feeling that I had, right? Like I grew up learning English for 20 plus years. And I had always been so uh, proud of my English because I ace every single test score, right? Like, you know, like we're very good at taking tests. Um, but it's only when I started moving abroad um, and uh, and during the time at Stanford, you know, in the MBA classroom, people don't care about your grades at all. Actually, nobody actually even know your grades, but they care a lot about what you had to contribute in the class, right? And so you want to be smart. You want to be well accepted by your classmates because it's also a very intimidating environment where everybody seemed really smart. So just like a lot of us, we were trying to raise our hands and, and contribute our ideas when professors would be asking some questions and there's so many times and it happened very often that hey if I raised my hand and it was trying to speak up professors being very uh, respectful acknowledge your ideas but then quickly moved on to somebody else right and then there's so many times that your friends or your classmates that you love saying something that everybody felt like it was such a good idea and they jumped deeper and they analyze more and you were sitting there really silently thinking how did I not get the same attention because I was literally trying to say the exact same things five minutes ago and of course there's so many things coming in right like maybe I don't speak loud enough maybe I'm small maybe I'm blah right but I took the time and the effort to get feedback from my professors and classmates and understood what happened and they all basically very respectfully politely saying that which sometimes they had to really the entire classroom had to be really silent and quiet and focus to hear me and understand me. Otherwise, it's just really hard because of the English, right? So it's not something that bats you about your idea. It's not that we don't well, like not, it. Well, not the English, but the accent, right? The is, accent, is what right? It like, is. Yeah, I think it's the, the way how do you deliver. It's the delivery of your message, right? Like got lost mm. in the way because your accents, your the way how you use different phrases that is not commonly used in English that you sort of like translated from your own languages, right? So I think a lot of that came. And so that feedback really, really was a wake-up call Oh, and again, it becomes a hinder to me trying to do things that I want. But I think most importantly, in that moment, it really hurt your confidence because you felt like when you speak and people don't fully understand you in the same uh, level of what you want to communicate, you felt like you're going to draw back because you don't want to speak. And, and confidence has always been a big thing for me. I think as long as you're confident, you can do a lot of things in life, regardless of how challenging it is. But the moment that it hit your confidence, I think it really was a wake-up call that I said, well, you got to do something about it. And of course, I had the choices, right? I could just choose to go back to my own country and of course, in my own country, I speak my own languages and I won't have any communication issue. And a lot of our friends would choose to do that because staying here in the U.S. would just mean that it's a little harder to compete with the locals, right? But I wanted to feel like the joys of me staying or moving back to my own country is a personal choice, not the choice that I'm 
forced to do because mm. I can't compete, right? I think those are two very different stories. And so I really, really want to take it on myself and just like figure it out with the different ways that I can improve my speaking and gain that confidence back. So you you then had this strong connection to it and you knew so many others who were experiencing the same thing. Of course, Duolingo is a close comparison, but not really because you're taking uh, the different element of looking at the accents in language. Talk to us a little bit about, okay, you felt this great need, dire need, you wanted to do something about it and solve this problem. How how did you take that into a business? Yeah, so I mean, there's a lot of language learning solution and Duolingo being a very amazing company that had really pioneered in language learning in mobile environment, right? But I think what is still missing is the speaking component. That's the part that people are very scared of, right? Like talk to a lot of my friends, give them a test in English, they do it very well, right? Like writing an email, they do it amazingly. Give them a 10,000 pages of research paper, they can read and understand just like anybody. But speaking, that's really scary. Like, because when you speak and other people don't understand you, it gets in the way, right? Like you get embarrassed and all of that. And so that's really the idea of how do I take it to like expand it to like, how do we build a solution that enable people to speak more confidently? And that comes on like speaking clearly, like speaking clear, good English that others people can easily understand you. But also I think the challenges of learning speaking is that there's no environment for you to practice, right? And so I think that's why the business model for us is like, how do we just tackle the speaking challenge? And I'm a big mm. believer in not reinventing the wheel. If there's everybody's doing it already in the market and solving for certain challenges, I don't want to do yet another one just to compete because I think it's a wasted resource of the society to try to solve for the same thing, right? But I'm really focusing on solving something that people have yet solved and that was to really focus on the speaking but that's why the idea came and this is why at the beginning I said was very early on when the adoption wasn't even clear that instead of relying on human to help people learning speaking because speaking requires one-on-one attention it's very very hard to do on a larger scale how do we still bring this access to learning speaking but you can access hundreds of millions of people around the world. And that was when I said, the only way you can do it is AI. The only way you can do it is technology. Yes, AI was very early and premature at that point in time, but that's how we're going to push. Hold that thought. Ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Okay, so I don't actually know, but I do know that 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot. And for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support. Plus, they have a huge collection of resources to help startup scale. And with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save big off your first year. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot, visit HubSpot.com startups. Mind us, what year was this that you were thinking about it when you say we're early? Late 2015 was the idea when it came, right? That was when Siri and Google Voice and Alexa Bailey came out and it was not even good, right? I still remember my husband and I would be in bed late at night and just like testing Siri and see how they got smarter over time because they were very, very early technology. And so when we actually even came out with the concept, and got, we got a lot of pushback from our users and say, there's no way an AI can understand me. Like, there's just mm. no way. We need a teacher, right? Like, and even when the AI started giving the users or the learners feedback, they don't believe in the feedback at all because they said, no way, because no teachers have ever said any, highlighted any of these mistakes. But because the teachers don't have the time or they actually don't even speak good English themselves, right? And so they, they, it's very hard for them to identify that. And it's also out of politeness, right? You can't just correct people all the time, right? It's just really hurting people's ego. And so we got a lot of pushback back then and say, 
can the AI even do the job? Can the AI even understand me? Can the AI actually even accurately identify the mistakes that I made? Yeah. So tell us about how you did that. I mean, this was early days where, are arguably, you know, there was a lot more work to be done to be able to get the level of accuracy that Elsa today has, right? Um, and you didn't necessarily come from a technical background per se. Talk to us a little bit about, you know, thinking about putting the different parts. It had to be mobile. Uh, you also started in certain markets. How did you think about, you know, market positioning? Where do we start first? What was the MVP that was sufficient for this to have the stickiness with users? How do you think about all of that? Yeah, so for us, right, like so having zero technical background, I actually spent a lot of time looking for the right co-founder that has an AI voice recognition technology background because it's a very niche, but it's also a specialty that we really absolutely need if we want to have a shot at winning it um, in the market, right? Um, and so actually I spent six months looking for the right co-founder. I still remember back in the late 2015 before I even started the company or just exploring the ideas. I talked to pretty much most of the expert in the AI voice recognition, uh, voice recognition space in the Bay Area, right? Like It's just like one person. When I met, I said, hey, I had this idea. First of all, tell me, am I crazy? Can it ever be done? Is that even feasible? And then second, if it can be done, what do I need to do? And who's going to be there to do it for me? Those are the three questions I repeatedly mm-hmm. asking, right? In the first one, repeatedly, every single top scientist say, yes, it can be done. It hasn't been done actively yet because the big companies are not spending resources in building a voice recognition technology to help people learning English. But on a research, it can be done, right? You just need data. And then, so uh, first of all, the feasibility of it is that it's not a totally crazy idea that has never been done before. So that gave me a lot of confidence. Hey, it can be done. Somebody got to figure it out. Why not me? But then the second is I also started learning about what exact steps that we need to do, right? Like, and people repeatedly saying like, you need data. You need a lot of data of these people who speak English with different accents for you to understand them. And those data are not for sale anywhere. You got to collect those data yourself, right? And then third is, then you need a team, right? People that actually know this space that can go very deep into all of this one to know how to use the data, to know how to build a model from scratch. And the next one, I said, I'm not the right person for you because I'm not leaving Google. I'm not leaving blah, right? Because it is this very risky environment, but I can connect you to the next few people. So then that's actually the loop that I did. I met one person, they connect me to the next three and the next three connecting me to the next nine. And then I literally talked to like lots of people. But eventually six months later, I found my co-founder CTO right now, who's like, probably I could have never asked for anybody better right it's just like the perfect expert in the space know everything know exactly what to do and then that's how we did it we started out saying we need data but we can't just collect data from all over the world we got to figure it out and these data have to be collected on the field because you need to get people to speak for you right I still remember I asked my CTO uh, co-founder back then how much data do you need he's like 100 hours to start with I'm like oh that's it and knowing from a no research background, like that sounds simple, just 100 hours. How tough can it be? Is that, whoa, what are you talking about? We barely got 10 hours in research and we spent five years collecting it. I'm like, so tell me exactly how you want me to collect that data. I'll do it. And so he gave me the process of how to collect the data. I then went back to Vietnam, which is where I'm from, because I had the most pull and leverage. And that's why we chose Vietnam, because you got to go back to where you have the most advantages, right? And mm-hmm. given that you have no money, you have no resources, anywhere that you can get for free is very powerful. So that's that's why Vietnam was chosen as the first country for us to launch because that's where we collected our first set of data for our model to be trained on, uh, right? So that we can understand Vietnamese accent English uh, much better. So I was in Vietnam. I had thousands of people 
speaking to the, the the prototype app that we want so that we can collect the data. And for you, what does that mean for our MVP? First of all, we don't even build a product. Actually, for the first year or so, we don't even build a good product at all. We all care about the technology and the feasibility of it. So what I asked my CTO is like, when do I know that this idea is feasible? He said, I can show you what we can recognize people when they mm. speak and what errors that they made. But I also have to be able to prove that the more data we get, the better accuracy is going to be. And so that was our MVP from a technology side is that we just put out a website that we get people to speak. And initially, the accuracy, it was very, very bad. But then I said, hey, here's more data. Can you put in more data? And then can you retrain the model? And if you can show that it's actually getting better over time, then that means that we, we're onto something. And then we can start thinking about building a product and releasing it, right? So I think that was very early on of what we did. We spent almost the first two years in all collecting data and building the AI. Wow. We did not even think about user acquisition. We did not think about like monetization or anything like that. And we were very lucky to have investors that were supportive of that journey, right? Like, who, who were your first few investors and why did they say this was important, a problem for you to solve? Well, so we had uh, quite a set of angel um, investors at the beginning who were like mm -hmm. uh, actually from Stanford Angel Network and Hi. actually um, some of our investors also from 500 Startup Vietnam that really just believed believed in the potential, right? Like, again, we were very early. I still remember in the early days when we were approaching some of the more known VCs in the in the area and trying to convince them why we had to help people improve English speaking. People were actually really skeptical and say, why do people even need to speak better English? Like, I speak French terribly when I was in France and people loved it. And I'm said, that's a very different story. Like, people love your French uh, language when you are in France just because you are showing an effort to try to speak their language but it's not a survival language it's not like a day-to-day -day communication that people had to understand you and do business with your English is a very different one right like how often do you discredit somebody when they speak really broken English because you don't yeah, think absolutely. that you're equally good but actually the and it has to do with like earning potential you know yeah. advancement is so so real so, there's a lot of data that proves so it's this it's much yeah. much 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 more important uh, right so when I look to early investors I look for people that actually believe in the problem that we're solving first, right? Like, why is this so important? And once they are really believing in that problem, then said, here's a step that I need to do. But guess what? I can't rely on humans. Just tell me how else, like what else, right? Like, so, and this AI is not something that can work overnight. It's not building a mobile application that you can outsource to a team in India. And then three months later, they can come back with an app, right? So I think finding the investor that believe in what you do and try to solve it when it's hard in the longer term was really helpful because I was not under pressure pressure to like, hey, Vu, you need to show the money, right? Like actually, even when we raised the second round, like uh, from Google Gradient, who are, we were also very lucky because they also just focused on AI startups and they know how hard AI would be, right? And we were very early in the portfolio for them. And so they also, when we came to them on our Series A, we barely had revenue, um, right? But because we just started launching the product into the market, but they see the potential, they see the momentum and the users really sticking around and, and they see the huge product market fit there. So two years uh, of really just getting the data, getting the, to a point where you could feel like you're onto something. Uh, how long did it then take to get to, I guess, the first point of, uh, you know, first set of users to sort of create that virality? What was that sort of, uh, I guess, a little bit more from the zero to one to the one to 10? 
we actually get some early virality even before we had a product. So like mm. in the first seven days of us launching a landing page that there's an AI that can help you speak better English, we already get like 10,000 people signing up on a waiting list to get Elsa. Wow. We don't even know what Elsa means. We just, we don't even know what the product is going to look like because we haven't even started. So just give so much gratitude and credit to those 10,000 because they became our active user testing house right like every idea everything that we launch everything that we built in the prototype we tested with these people does that make sense is that good is that not right and so it was really really powerful and then when we went out to the market in beginning of 2016 when we actually just debuted the product we competed at South by Southwest and we were the winner there we got within the first 24 hours we got 30,000 people downloading it's like scratching like scratching every single server that we had because I literally told my tech team my CTO Tech team is small, like two people. <laughs> But, uh, Tech team, I love it. Tech team sounds really great. But yeah, my two people, good. right? Like my CTO yeah. and my one engineer say, hey, don't worry about it. Just put the app on the app store for me. I just need to show this competition. There's only like 500 people in the room. That's it. Nobody ever would know about Elsa at all. So don't even worry about it. So they push up something that was not even ready just so that people can download it and try it. And fortunately and unfortunately, we won the content. So we got like 30,000 people downloading in the next 24 hours. It's like literally my oh, tech team, so, uh, co-and-code, spend like, next many days unsleep just to make sure that we stand up our server to serve that right and and again this product was launched as a super early prototype there's like very few lessons there's like barely any feature in there because again the purpose of that product to launch was to collect data right so we put it out for free completely anybody can download it use it so that we can get the data so that we can train the model so that it can get better to serve people in the future and we stay with that prototype version even though we got a lot of downloads virality and all of that in the first year and a half until late 20 2017, that's when we actually officially launched a much better version of the product to the market where we start thinking about like, how do we start charging people for all of that services? Yeah, so so tell us then a little bit about the business model and, and in terms of how you structure it. Was it, you know, different lessons? And how do you think about all of that in terms of positioning your product here? Yeah, so the product has evolved into like multiple phases, right? Like when we started out, we had a very powerful pronunciation feedback engine that we can listen to people when they speak English and identify the exact mistakes in their pronunciation, right? Like the particular mm -hmm. sound that they mispronounce and how do you move your tongue and your lips in different positions so that you can improve those mistakes because a lot of what you do have like to do with these uh, top pronunciation errors that really hurt your clarity of your speech, right? So, the, so then we have lessons for you. We have an assessment test. You speak, we identify the mistakes. Then we dig you, drill you into those uh, uh, skills that we set so that you can improve those areas of uh, mistake. And we have a very powerful recommendation engine. So the more we listen to you speak, the more we know about your areas so that we can recommend exactly what lessons you want to take, right? So that was the first evolution of the product. And then now that we had a lot of data from learners, the feed and then learners going from, you know, like from that beginning journey of like, hey, I have a lot of pronunciation challenges, but I also want to speak more fluently. What does that mean? Right? Like, because a lot of these language learners, they also are very afraid of speaking English. And they also say, how do I make sure that I use the right vocabularies? How do I make sure that I use the right grammar sentence structure when I speak? Because that could also uh, hurt your delivery of your speech, right? How do I make sure that I have the right intonation and rhythm? And so we actually launched the next set of like advanced feature of the product is in, in addition to providing people feedback on the pronunciation, which is really, really important. We believe it's prerequisite because if you speak 
all of these fancy words and people don't understand you, then you can't get far, right? So you gotta fix that clarity first. And once you fix the clarity, now you can add all the beautiful things on top to sweeten your speech, right? Like whether you use the better vocabulary, using a much more advanced grammar structure, uh, pausing at the right place, having the right intonation so that your speech doesn't become monotone and people get bored uh, listening to that. And Vuvan, if I may, just to understand here, because and I've heard you talk about this, mm. when you were choosing an accent, you actually mm. chose a specific Western American accent Midwestern. to be the basis Midwestern tell us a little bit about you know the data behind this why you chose that and you know how 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 does the model actually work I mean this is very specific right it's very human it's replacing a human interaction to be able to pick up the very very uh, soft nuances I would say so I mean there's no right English in the world, right? You can speak with whatever accent and it's beautiful and actually diversity, right? And so let's say I speak English with still some Vietnamese accent because actually I don't care about removing it because it's authentic, it's who I am and it makes me who I am, right? But when you choose to teach people, it has to be some, we call it ground truth. You have to anchor into something, right? And so mm-hmm. you could choose British English, you could choose Australian English, you could choose Singaporean English for if you want it, right? Like, or you could choose American English. First of all, I don't speak any other English but American. English because I'm spending a lot of time here, right? Our advisors who we got in, our curriculum expert in the very early days has been teaching American English. It's also American English that's very well known and commonly accepted in all of the countries around the world because of American movies that got influence on the younger generation, yeah. right? So first of all, between British English and American English, we choose American English for so the, those reasons. And then within American English, again, you have all sort of accents around the country and none of them are wrong, right? It's just you have to choose something. And Midwest Western American accent is actually considered general American English by all of the uh, linguistic experts in the country, right? Because it's most neutral, um, so to speak. So like Hollywood accent is closer to that Midwestern accent. And so again, when you teach the AI, imagine the AI is a plain sheet of paper, you got to teach them something. So you got to give them a ground truth and say, hey, here's the American English that we want everybody to be benchmarked against. And then once people speak with their own uh, voices, then we can start comparing with that ground truth and see how far away are you from that ground truth. And mm-hmm. if you're just a little further away, we say, hey, that's good enough that you don't need to change it. If it's a little bit further away, we say, hey, there seems to be some potential misunderstanding if you continue saying like that. And so here's the feedback. And if it's very further away, we say, hey, that's actually wrong. So how, how long is each lesson and, and how do you think about the phases? You mentioned there's been an evolution. How is it today compared to when you first started? Yeah, so we still have a very much gamified learning experience. So every lesson is about two, three minutes because that's how long the attention time span is before people want to move on. Um, And again, the product right now is actually full suite, right? Like, so you actually can even have a Zoom call like that or like a, a virtual meeting. We can even listen in the background um, and give you a transcript at the end, but also analyze every single element of your speech, right? Like, hey, Vu, wow. in the last meeting that you had, here's your score, and here's the different areas that you got to improve. And sometimes what the improvement feedback is like, you speak really fast, you got to slow down and you have a lot of feelers and hesitation like uh and um in your speech and that might hurt your confidence of the delivery. And so here's the few areas that you want to improve. Or the feedback can be about your pronunciation, right? Here's the few sounds that you really mispronounce that, that really hurt the, uh, the clarity of your speech. Or the feedback can be on vocabularies and we can say, hey, 
you most likely use this set of vocabularies and phrases. Here's some set of different vocabularies and phrases that you can use to strengthen your speech. We call it speech analyzer for 30, 45 minutes, and then we get all of that feedback. We then loop back the users into the learning app, the mobile application, and say, hey, Boo, based on what we listen to you, here's the few set of lessons that we recommend for you. We usually recommend about five to seven lessons because that's equivalent to about 10 to 15 minutes a day. And we want to encourage that 10, 15 minutes daily behavior instead of trying to learn an hour a week, but then only one day, right? And so then that's amazing. we have a powerful recommendation engine that taking all of the learner mistakes and weaknesses, and then we tell them exactly what they should do in that lessons. And then we keep track of that progress so that we can iterate on that for them. So the majority of your users, are they mobile? I mean, you were talking about sort of using the Zoom call, I'm thinking about like Otter AI Elsa's in the background yeah. there. How do you do this with um, your application? Is it desktop mostly or is it mobile still? We are mobile first um, and our mm-hmm. learning app is on mobile uh, only. Um, this, uh, this, this speech analyzer capability is on both mobile and desktops so or like websites so that when you have a, a Zoom call, you can just turn on our website called speechanalyzer.com and then you can just get all of that feedback That's in the background, great. right? But then it connected back to the mobile app. So when you open an app, to learn is on mobile. We don't have a learning journey on the website because majority of people are spending their time on mobile. For us, we're a mobile first company. And now actually the learners with, uh, again, general AI and all of that, we actually have been building it before OpenAI even released it. Now you can have any role play conversation within the AI, right? Like you can open the app and say, hey Elsa, I just want to speak about the weather today. Or like I just, I'm actually uh, making a trip to Japan and I want to brush up my English. And so Elsa would then using our recommendation engine, we recommend exactly the lessons that you can do and then turn up any scenario role play conversation that you want to do like we have learners that hey I'm about to go into a salary negotiation conversation with my manager how should I even prepare for it then they open Elsa AI tutor and then we help them guide through that and we one of the conversation that we watched the user doing the user testing was really fun was that the learner would just sit down completely and say hey I would love to get a salary increase and then the Elsa AI tutor will will give a hint in the background and say hey you probably don't want to start with asking for a salary increase right away. You might want to remind your manager about how valuable you are as a team and how good performance you are, right? And so it's actually very subtle, but it's helped people in thinking through the conversation as they do the role play as well. Fascinating because, and now I think a lot of people can grasp that, right? Because you're actually using OpenAI and ChatGPT and it feels like, yeah, you're having conversation and, and with Dolly and all that, it, it feels real now and, and people can sort of get that. But with the role playing, for example, that salary example, are you sort of inserting different circumstances different social circumstances into the model to learn that to teach that later on how how does this work yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so actually we do. So we have a filtering layer, right? So even though we use large language model by OpenAI to generate the conversation, but we're adding a lot of filtering and criteria. Like if you are beginner learners, we don't want to give you recommendation or conversation that's too advanced because you can't even hold that conversation. Because again, remember this is speaking. If it's writing, anybody can copy and write and paste and send it over, right? But if it's speaking, you actually have to deliver it. So even if the AI tell you to say something super advanced and super cool, the learners actually cannot deliver it. So we have to tone down the conversation to make sure that it fits with the learners on where they are. And it has a cultural bias. It has the um, all of the biases that we have to remove for as well. So huge personalization and customization. Uh, is there a risk that, you know, now that generative AI is, is the buzzword now, yeah. is there a risk that you'll be disrupted? How, how are you keeping what you're building proprietary? Well, so I think, well, first of all, is when OpenAI releases, it's level the playing field a little bit, meaning that you actually have seen 
mean, every week there's a new app coming out that say, hey, they're also building an I speaking tutor because it's so easy to plug in an API, right? But I think just similar to all other industry like healthcare insurance and customer support and language learning, I think eventually it has to come down to the winner of the category that know how to specialize and make it a vertical expertise, right? And whether that's relying on your own data, having ability to fine-tune the model so that it works much better for your audience because, yes, everybody can open some conversation and feel that's really cool, but whether that actually helps you learn and improve your English through throughout a journey is something very different, and that takes a smart recommendation, a smart personalization to make sure that it fits you where you are, but also the feedback loop, right? Like once we listen to your conversation, we then identify the lessons so we can create those lessons for you so that you can improve. It's not just about having continuous conversation because again, conversation without feedback isn't as powerful, right? You got to figure out what the mistakes that people get and then also generate the lessons that fit those so that you can improve it. And that has always been our powerhouse is the feedback mechanism in the so what, right? Like you make a mistake why are you making that mistake and so what what do you do about it and I think we're providing mm -hmm. that full loop and so I think there's the what how is that disrupting I think uh, there's two sides right it's the good and the bad the good thing is that everybody talk about AI so the market is very uh, receptive to a concept of AI teaching people to speak English we don't have to spend so much time educating the market and spending the money and doing that versus we used to uh, do sure. right so that's that general acceptance of the market. The bad side is that it's so noisy because now the learner is like confused. Oh, there's like 20 Which other one? applications. Yeah. This one is good, right? So then you have to fight that brand noise and all of that white noise in the market to survive as a leader in the in the category. But I think the product will eventually survive by itself, right? Learners are smart, right? Like they will figure out which product eventually help them improve and which mm. product doesn't. So it's not so much about acquiring the users at the beginning. I think the journey and we're all five for is how do you retain them over time? And we have been very good at doing that, right? And so I, I think what is similar to every single tech uh, rising cycle, right? You're going to see probably hundreds of thousands of products coming out in the hype and then eventually majority of them would just probably drop out because it doesn't survive the market and then a few that actually have the capacity to either um, adding your own data like making it very special like bring it in-house um, with your own capability and expertise so that you can really become the leader in the category yeah and speaking of being a leader in the category even during COVID actually in 2020 you had a significant jump in revenue something like 300% at the five-year mark right from 2015 yeah. tell us a little bit about you know what happened here how did you get to this point and what you know what, what's your revenue base you know to the extent that you can speak about your users and things like that you know when when people all stay at home uh, right people all of a sudden feel like they have to fill their time and that's why edtech really really rising as a category because everybody want to learn something online and english is something that people spend more time so not just the users that we acquire more we also see a huge spike in engagement because people have so much more time staying at home right so instead of trying to practice 10-15 minutes a day we see people practicing like 30-45 minutes a day consistently every day and that's really really powerful right because again for me it's easy to acquire users because everybody feel like oh they're gonna download something but then it's very easy to lose them right the harder one is to keep them around and engage with them and I think that's something that we, we survived the COVID test in the sense that hey
okay, when people have a lot of free time, they actually want to use your app more um, because it's fun and it's engaging and it's, it's showing progress to the learners. You sort of glaze over this, right? You talk about how it's easy for you to gain users. I mean, you did not have the cold start problem that Andrew Chen talks about, right? You actually started with like 30,000 and your your product wasn't ready, but you, you didn't necessarily have that problem. How are you, you know, um, doing your customer acquisition? How have you been able to garner so much interest in Elsa? We got a lot of endorsers in the market by like key opinion leaders, right? And these are free, organic. We don't pay for this. But, you know, we got a lot of like English teachers and people have a lot of followers that happen to stumble upon Elsa and really, really recommend this to the community. And mm. very honest feedback if you watch YouTube, right? Like we never really interview with any of that. They could criticize product for all they need, but they also highlight the important part why we're solving the challenges. And so I think when the feedback come out very honestly with from, from these KOL, like key opinion leaders, the market really accept that and say, hey, yes, Elsa as an AI still have certain er areas that they're not as good as human, but they're solving for something that human cannot solve. And they're solving for something that you currently have a gap, right? Like whether you cannot have $1,000 to pay for a human tutor that's really good, or you don't have that convenience that you can schedule with the tutor. Elsa is very affordable, it's very convenient, it's actually listening to you speaking English, you don't have to be embarrassed, right? One of the reasons why Japanese learners really love us and we were there talking to the learners is that even if I can't speak to a human tutor, I'm very afraid of being corrected all the time. And AI can just give me that comfort, all right? Like I can be wrong for so many times until I got it right and AI doesn't judge, right? And so I think having all of this endorsement in honest opinion and feedback from people in the industry, whether that's teachers, whether it's KOL, whether it's influencers, really help us that brand and that credibility in the market and i think the wow. product has a really good virality in itself because once you listen to it and you believe in it there's a benefit that because you are a language learner most likely all of your friends are language learners as well so then you spread the word around right and so we get a lot of good word of mouth um, from the community by itself so hold that thought my First Million, hosted by Sam Parr and Shan Puri, is brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My First Million features amazing guests like Alex Hormozzi, Sophia Omoroso, and Hassan Minaj, sharing their secrets for how they made their first million and how to apply their learnings to capitalize on today's business trends and opportunities. An episode I really liked, a recent one on how Sam's mother-in-law built a million-dollar Etsy business out of nothing and i believe it involves hellos so listen to my first million wherever you get your podcasts so there wasn't any like planned strategy you didn't pay these influences at all i mean you know one of the things that i, I this is this is something i was thinking about with your business you know you've really done amazing and you haven't even uh I, so i know the numbers but maybe you'll share a little bit later but you've done tremendously well i was looking at masterclass right other ad tech businesses masterclass spends a lot on customer acquisition and one of the things that they actually narrowed down on was search intent so if you're looking for you know ingredients to cook something Masterclass is the first one that pops out. And it's curious that you didn't do any of that at all. And this was almost organic. So to, just to be clear, we started doing a little bit more in the last year or two, but the mm -hmm. first few years is purely organic, right? Because we also a lot smaller resources wise. And so we don't want to spend a lot of money on marketing. But also I think it came down to the founders, right? I don't have a marketing background. I'm more a product person. So I strongly believe that the product will speak for itself and we'll let the product do their work, right? And so so that's why we invest so much on product, right? Like we take every single user feedback, we iterate very fast and we literally have 
I was the only one that do marketing in the company. We don't even have anybody doing marketing, right? And so I think we rely a lot on the community. On that one, we later on, as the company grew, we started adding more uh, marketing and advertising. So we started doing a little bit more. And now I would say like right now, we probably... Uh, still a little bit heavily indexed on uh, on organic, but we also have uh, the, the the advertising that comes in later on. So now that you're you're at the stage of your business, right? You've had three hundred percent revenue growth. You're in so many different countries. Now is really the crunch time to get to that huge point of scale. How are you thinking about your business, and what has been challenging at this stage for you? Well, so we we slowed out the growth a little bit in the last year because of market compression, and we want to start thinking about like how do we become more efficient in the company with like you know everybody talk about path to profitability so we're working actively on that it has never been a discussion for a lot of tech startups right you could potentially go IPO without even thinking about it and now everybody think about it so we also make a very intentional uh, focus within the company um, to do so right but I think where we are uh, heading next is um, it's all so the market is ginormous right like we have a billion or more people actively learning English right now we currently have about 50 plus million uh, registered users around the world so we still have a lot to crack over Open. And I think where we are right now is just really think about growth journey and international expansion. I think we're strong in certain markets where we started out first, like Southeast Asia, Japan, and Latin America. But there's also the entire world that we haven't really tapped into, like Europe, the Middle East, like Taiwan, and Asia, South Asia, and all of that countries, right? So I think for us right now is to really figure out the international expansion strategy and see where you go next that makes sense to really enable our growth story, um, right? But also just really stay ahead on the product. Like, I mean, we're launching the AI tutor. Um, using generative AI and there's a lot more to do there right because it can help people communicate better not just even on the technicality of your English your pronunciation but actually really helps you become much more powerful communicator in English especially when English is not your own uh, language right and we're also working actually in the last actually since COVID we get a lot of companies reaching out and say hey can you offer a corporate training solution and so we actually started working in the last year and a half with companies and schools around the world and that's going to be a big push for us in the next years or so is to offering the solution into the B2B segment in addition to the B2C that we're doing fairly well and very similar to B2C, we actually don't spend marketing on the B2B at all. Majority of our leads coming in are inbounds right now because it's actually very rewarding to see that whenever we had a B2B clients coming in, whether the school or companies, they said, oh, so-and-so in the company had been using the product and they really like it. And so now we want to offer the solution to more people in the company. And so that's how we got all of the leads coming in organically instead of like trying to do performance marketing out of it. Yeah, so previously it was pretty much a B2C type model, right? Yeah, yeah. and now we Got have uh, a still a smaller uh, portion of it, but we're growing that B2B model as well into the... Well, a lot more to do, uh, and you, it feels like you're still just getting started. But, you know, I'll, I'll follow up next, but now we have to move on to sort of billion dollar questions, quick fire questions, you know, first thing that comes to mind for you. A habit that you've picked up that has changed your life for the good. So I become an early bird, uh, and I used to like, Never talk to me about 6 a.m. meeting, but I felt like, yeah, so waking up early, I got two hours of peace and quiet for myself to think, to do whatever that I haven't been able to do the last day has been extremely powerful. And it just gave me so much mm. more energy in the day. Mm, love it. What would you tell your younger self? Think about how you enjoy your life because life is not all about just working right like you got to figure out different joys and different parts of your life and, and enjoy that to the fullest as well so that it's not all about career it's not all about work what's your biggest insecurity still i became a mom recently and i still haven't figured it out yet how to balance all of this one so that mummy guilt um, that i heard yeah, uh, quite a lot 
it's becoming a little bit more real. Um, and so I'm just still learning. Mm. What's an opinion you have that most people don't agree with? Opinion I have that most people don't agree with. I think, well, so this is an, uh, the one. People say like, follow your passion. Um, like just choose the work that's your, that you're most passionate about. I think there's some truth to that. But when you're early on, like you just got to do like you just show passion in what you do instead of like follow the work that you're passionate about because you're not everybody's lucky enough to figure out what your passion is, right? And if you keep chasing that one, you might be chasing for a long time instead of like spending that time in doing something that you currently do, whatever the opportunity given to you, just do it with passion. And I think you're going to go mm. very far from that. Love it. So this is a billion dollar question from a previous guest, a VC actually investing in AI, uh, Martina Walkoff from WXR. How do you decide on the boundaries of your sacrifices as a founder? How do I decide on the boundaries? Mm. I think, oh, this is a tough one. So I don't believe in work-life balance, right? I think that's just very hard to achieve, right? But I think, well, for, so first of all, family comes first. So if there's like two pressing priorities that like two emergencies that are happening uh, at once family come first because eventually you can go so far of your career and all of the success that you achieve but it's a family that matters to me right it's that cliche but it's true so if there's two identical emergency that happen in the one moment family come first now when you zoom out right like you gotta uh, I, I have to start figuring it out like how much do I give for work and how much do I give for family as long as I feel balanced when I zoom out um, in the grander scheme of things and so like, how much do I travel how much do I spend time with my kids how much do I spend time with my um, my, my, my siblings and my spouses and my parents I think is um, I, I think on the gra- uh, on the on the zooming out schedule I think it's easier because you just have to figure it out how much have you spent time? Love it. Okay, so my next guest, so in this similar trend, my next guest, actually this will be interesting for you, is Daniel Mikhailov, who is the executive director at data.org. So data.org is, you know, they sort of are in the frontier of data, privacy, AI, everything that we're thinking about, you know, uh, what would your question be for him? Oh, that's a, that's a good one. If it's for him particularly, right? Like, I think the question would be like, how do you strike the balance between ethical versus non-ethical in this data collection world where AI becomes very important? Um, mm. And how do you compromise between speed and bias when you're collecting data? Ooh, that's a good one. Good. All right. Well, I will let you know what he says. I'll send the episode to you. I love but- that. Vu, this is amazing. Thank you so much for your time. And I'm so excited. I mean, 50 million users, you're just getting started. Uh, I'm so excited for your next billion. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, such a great honor. And thanks so much for tuning in this week. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow our socials on Sarah Chen Global to get the latest on the show. It would really help me out too if you enjoyed this to rate and review our show on Apple Podcasts and share your favorite episodes with a friend. I'm Sarah Chen Spellings and you've been listening to Billion Dollar Moves.